This morning we are going to be picking back up in our study of the book of Acts. And uh, we this morning we will be in, in Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 23. And I know we'll get down through 31 and maybe further, so we'll just see how that goes. I'm going to read the text, and then I'm going to pray, and we will get into the Word of God. In verse 23, he says, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage? And the people plot vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that they, with all boldness, that they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Father, this morning, as, as I just come to you in prayer, thank you, Father, for your, your goodness to us. Thank you, God, for your word, the blessings that you have so richly blessed all of us here with. I'm just so glad this day that we can come here unmolested. We can come here freely. But I pray, God, that we have come to worship you in spirit and in truth. My prayer this morning is that, God, that you would fill me, Lord, with your power, Lord, to proclaim your word. I pray for those that, that are under the sound of my voice, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in their hearts and their minds, God, to, to strengthen, to encourage, to convict, to equip, to empower, God, for the purpose of your work and your glory. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we we are coming to the close of chapter 4. Now, where all this began was way back in chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John were going down to the temple to pray at 3 in the afternoon. At the, at the exact same time, some people were bringing a man who had been crippled from his birth to just simply ask, to beg for, for alms, to just simply just say, do you have anything that you could give me today? It's what we call one of those divine appointments. As Peter and John walk up, this man just reaches up his hand. He's not even looking up, and he says, do you have any change that you could spare today? And Peter looks at him, and he says, look at us. And Peter said this, he said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you 
In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking, leaping, and praising God. For the first time in this man's life, he was able to walk, leap, jump, run. And for the first time, he was able to enter into the temple of God. Just for the purpose of prayer, to to give God thanks. Well, when this news went abroad, the chief priests, the elders, the Sanhedrin began to question them. By what power, by what authority have you done this? Through what name has this happened? And Peter filled, this is 4.8, he says, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well? He said, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. And he said, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And then Peter said, nor is there any, is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name given under heaven. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now he says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they'd been with Jesus. And seeing the man whom they had had been healed standing with them, they could not say anything against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done Through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. And then they said, But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter answered John, or Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them, because all of the people, since all, it says they couldn't punish him because of all the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. It says, for the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So we come to this place. They, this man had been healed. They, they, they said, by what name, by what power, by what authority did you do this deed? Well, we did this in the name of Jesus. It's by His name, His power, that this man stands whole before you. But then you would think that these people would rejoice, but... Just several days before this, they had crucified the Lord of glory, did they not? So they've got to, they've got to put this to death. They have to, they have to stop this teaching. All the people are getting excited. They're glorifying God over these things and we've got to put it to a stop. 
And it says they threatened them. Now, church, I want you to understand something. This wasn't just a threat, just simply, you better stop doing this. These people had the authority, even though they were under the Roman rule, the Romans pretty much let them govern themselves as long as they weren't, you know, out of bounds with the Romans. And so they, you know, just like Jesus being crucified, that all started with the Jews. And then the Romans fulfilled that, and we'll see why all that happened. But what I want you to understand today is that the church of Jesus Christ, we're going to see what the early church looked like, what it is we've been called to do. What is our purpose in life as the church? But let's do this first. Let's just look at what happened right after this. And it says in verse 23, it says, And being let go, they went to their own companions. And listen, it says they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now, when you read that, don't you find that a little odd? I would think that it would say they, being let go, they went to their own companions and they began to tell them about going to prayer. And and there was a guy there and he was crippled and he couldn't walk and he asked for some money, but we said, rise up and walk. You would think that they would, that would be the emphasized part, wouldn't you? And I have no doubt that they did share that. But what has God given us in His Word? When they gathered with their companions, they said, we've been threatened by the chief priest and the elders. We've been commanded that we're not to teach in this name anymore. We're not to tell people, we're not to speak the name of Jesus anymore. I think sometimes we think the early church had it easy. It started off with being, this is the first time the church has been threatened or persecuted since Pentecost that we read in Scripture. Now, why were they threatened? Well, we go back to this. What is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is two things. It's all wrapped up in the Great Commission. The Great Commission is what? Go into all the world and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We are to preach the gospel in a lost and dying world. And then he says, and make disciples of all nations. There's the two things that the church does. Now, in discipleship, there's a number of things how we disciple. There's a, a variety, there's a, a vast assortment of, of subjects to be discipled in. But it all flows out of proclaiming the gospel. And those two things are under the overarching umbrella of everything we do, that everything we do is under the umbrella of that we are to glorify God in everything that we do. That's what the church is is to do. So, what's going on here? It says, when they went to their own companions and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, all of these threats of being punished, being persecuted, no doubt being put in prison or whatever. It says, so when they heard that in verse 24, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, and I'm going to stop right there. 
There's really three parts into this section we're going to be looking at. And the first one is church unity. The second one is prayer. And the third one is preaching. We start here with unity. And I just want to read some things about this, okay? The early church was a unified church. Now, we know that because, like, in Ada, just down the street, there's a church. You know, just over here, there's, like, three or four really big churches. Down the end of Main Street, there's a big church. I mean, there's churches everywhere, right? Well, we're not all just simply unified in everything we believe and everything we do. But in the early church, they were unified. They were unified in doctrine. They were unified in thought, in practice, in the things they believed and professed and all this. And they worked as one unit. Well, that all flowed out of Acts 2.42 where he says this. He says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. These two things in the breaking of bread, which would be just eating meals together and communion and in prayers. This is the method of the church. They were unified in preaching the gospel. The early church, now listen to this church, the early church to become a Christian meant that you basically were going to have to leave pretty much everything that was what your world was all about. You, you have to understand something that, that if these were Jews, the early church was Jewish, okay? They were all Jews. It was in Jerusalem. This Jesus had just been crucified. So in order to, to come under Jesus and to say, I am a follower of Christ, simply meant that you most likely were going to lose your family. You were going to lose your place in the temple. You were going to lose all of these things that we count as what makes us who we are. They were unified in this, though. Listen, you didn't become a Christian at just some flippant, I think I'll just be a Christian today. If you were going to be a Christian, it was going to cost you. Is it like that today? Now, we could say this. Well, oh, I'm a Christian. I mean, praise God. If you live in Oklahoma, everybody in Oklahoma is a Christian. Because we went out and did some street evangelism, and we've met, what, three people that pretty much weren't. But everybody else, man, after a while, they, they realized, oh, yeah, I remember doing that. I'm good. The, 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 the word Christian, and a lot of people have said, well, I'm not a Christian. I'm a, I'm a Christ follower. Let's put a new tag to it. Well, I don't care what you change the title to. It's all going to get abused and used, the names that we call ourselves by, to the point that it means nothing. The unified church. Man, I want to tell you something. I love our church. It's, it is the best church I've ever been a part of. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. The guy standing in front of you is not perfect. A lot of flaws. You think you know them, I know them better than you. I know all the ones that you don't like about me, plus the ones you don't know about me. I'm a very flawed person. But we're talking about unity in the church. Unity is when the many have solidarity of mind, beliefs, and action. 
Now listen to this. Unity is strengthened when part of the unified body is opposed or attacked. Okay, you hearing that? You see, I want you to know something. God's people, they do not grow in good times. When, when times are easy, when, when there's really no stress, I mean, what we call trials in good times is not really trials to most Christians in really rough parts of the world. Yeah. I mean, our trials consist of, of things. Now listen, don't get me wrong. We do go through trials. I mean, there's people, there are real trials that we go through. But what I'm talking about primarily right here is trials in the furthering of the gospel, furthering of the kingdom of God, invading the territory that darkness has occupied and where there's persecution coming. We really don't push ourselves into that because it's uncomfortable. Okay? And I want you to know this, that, that God's people have never grown in prosperous times. But you start persecuting the church of Jesus Christ and you will see a unity. You will see a solidarity in minds, in thoughts, in actions, in belief. I mean, is it disturbing today that you look around and we have so many flavors, so many brands of Christianity? I mean, it is, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest for a moment. And you hear people say, well, when you guys get it all figured out, tell me which one's right. Well, I want you to know something. When real persecution comes, the pretenders are going to be weeded out. And what's real is going to be left standing. Because if you're not real, if you're not a real Christian, I promise you, you will not lay down your life for what we're about. And what we will find, and you, and listen, I don't want it to be anybody here, I don't want it to be me, but I tell you, when persecution really comes, you will find out who's really of the substance of Jesus Christ, who's really in Christ and who's really not. And so what happens is when the apostles, when they, when Peter and John, when they come back and they get with their own company, here's what the deal, listen is, persecution results in the body of Christ to greater unity. Okay? What happens, I mean, when, when trouble comes, where do you want to go? Who do you want to be with? If you're a true Christian, you want to get with the people of God. Why for? Because here's the thing. It results in greater unity. It results in greater support. I mean, when you come back and, uh, and, and what happens, like, man, we've been beat up, we've been threatened, we've been persecuted. And people bring you in and they start praying for you. They start encouraging you. It, it brings greater courage to the body of Christ. This is what happens. But yet sometimes what we want to be unified in is we want to... I see so many people do these debates. It's like, my biggest goal is even though we're seeing it different, that we all get along. I'm going to tell you something. When, when the ECT was going on, that's the Evangelical slash Catholics Together program. And the guys that were in that camp saying Evangelicals and Catholics shouldn't try to convert each other. We should just all get along. And they invite John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul and D. James Kennedy to this meeting. And R.C. Sproul, who's not only a pastor, but he's a professor and he's a teacher. 
When this man is up on his hands and knees on the table with his finger in the face of those trying to promote this, he's not saying, well, we all left there just getting along fine. Okay? Truth is worth fighting over. Listen to me, folks. Unity must always be found in truth. Meaning this, you never forsake truth for the sake of unity. Unity is not the goal of the church. Truth, preaching truth. If you don't want truth, then go find somebody else. But if you want truth, that's what we're going to be unified in and under. So when they come back to their, their, their companions, the, the brethren, the church, and they said, man, we've been threatened. What do we do? What do we do now? Well, do you remember when we started the book of Acts? I said, we're going to see this pattern all through the book of Acts. Prayer precedes things. They pray. They preach. They proclaim, they praise, and they pray. You will see this over and over and over. And I will tell you again that if you're not going to pray about things, anything you can accomplish without prayer, you ought to be fearful of. Anything you can accomplish without prayer, it ought to be thrown out. And if you're not going to pray about really things that God's doing, you are insane. You're a guy that's headed to the battlefield and you don't even have a weapon with you. So what do they do when they come back? In verse 24, he says this. It says, and when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. I don't think they were all saying this all together in unison. But I think their minds and their hearts were this prayer. They were all of the same mind. They said, Sovereign Lord... Despotes, where we get the word despot, it means absolute master. What are they, what are they saying in this next section? You are the sovereign God. He says, they said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. What's he saying? He's saying that you are absolutely sovereign. Isn't it funny that we got to use adjectives to describe the word sovereign? I mean, sovereign is absolute control. But because we use sovereign in so many ways, that it, do you know there's really only one sovereign? And that's God. And if God isn't sovereign, then there's no such word as sovereign. Sovereign Lord, you, you are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And God, even this right here, you're sovereign over. These threats that are coming to us, this persecution that we're being threatened with, you are sovereign over that. And we're not going to run from the fight. But what are we going to do? We're going to run to the sovereign God, the one that we call Father. Who, by the mouth of your servant David, in the Holy Spirit, have said, and he's going to quote Psalms chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, 
Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. You know what they're saying in that? You see, so much of the time when you read the book of Acts, what do they do? They're preaching and they're even praying here and what are they doing? They're appealing back to the witness of the Old Testament, the Old Scriptures, right? Which weren't the Old Scriptures then, they were just the Scriptures. But they appealed back and what are they saying? Not only God, are you sovereign, but God, you told us this was going to happen. All down through church history, all down, all, all the way down through the, the children of Israel, you see what? You see, you see that, you know, remember back in Egypt, when they were going to put to death all the male children, right? They were going to do that. They're trying to snuff this out. This, this coming Messiah. All through time, there's always this attack on the people of God. And it all consummated in the death of Christ. Why did the people, why did the nations rage? Why did they hate their God? Why did they hate the king so bad? Why did the people plot vain things? You remember the parable of the vineyard? The one that went like this. There was a rich man and he had this vineyard and he left men to, to take care of it. And he went on a long journey and he thought, well, I want to send some people and check on it. And they see him coming and they, and they, they beat this guy. They send somebody else and they beat them and kill them. And finally, the, the, the master says, I don't really know what's going on. He says, I'll send my son. Surely they'll reverence my son. But when they saw the son, they said, let's kill him and we'll have it all. The gospel is such... It makes no sense to the natural mind. We go and preach a gospel of good news that you can be saved to people who hate Christ and they hate us. And how do we respond? By demonstrating love to them. Yesterday... Dexter and I went down to Ardmore a little bit ahead of time of the Bible study. We went downtown Ardmore. We're walking. Ardmore's a strange town. It's like nobody is out on the sidewalks. I mean, ever. We get a block to the south. We find a mission. I'd never seen it before. Walk up, and there's two guys laying there. One guy just uh, moaning and groaning. I said, how's it going, man? He sets up. Worst day of my life. So he'd been in prison 15 years, and this is worse than all of them. Thinking about going back to another 20 is what his plan was. Well, that was an icebreaker for me. I said, well, you've got a temporary plan, headed back to prison for 20 years. But what's your eternal plan? He's like, looks at me, and I said, where are you going to spend eternity when you die? Ah, me and man upstairs got it worked out. I do a little good, I do a little bad, it kind of balances out. So I start sharing the gospel with him. And he kind of arguing with me. He says, I, out of ten things, I'll do eight bad and two good. And that'll, I mean, even on balancing numbers, that doesn't balance. 
It's good to have a partner when you're doing this. I guess Dexter, the guy looks at Dexter and he goes, man, your buddy here don't say much. And Dexter goes, well, that's not really true. And if you know Dexter, that's not true. But then something happened. Dexter started talking. And he said, sir, you keep thinking you're going to just wait till that day and you're just going to explain to God how good you are. He said, actually, the Bible talks about people like you. And he said, he's going to come back as the king and he's going to come back in judgment with a rod of iron. And he says, and people like you are going to be trying to hide. And he said, and he's going to break your kneecaps with a rod of iron and you will submit to him. <laughs> the guy says, I liked you better when you didn't say nothing. <laughs> why, why do people, why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot vain? Why do they plot futile things? Things that there's no, there's, it's just an empty plan. He said, the kings of the earth, they took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. He says, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, they were gathered together. Listen to this. In John chapter 19, listen to this. In beginning in verse 5, it says, Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns, and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man! Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again to the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Listen to this. Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, he says, you could have no power at all against me unless It had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivers me to you has the greater sin. Can you imagine being Pilate? And you have this criminal in front of you that's been accused of all of these things. And Pilate knows it's Trump charges. But he's Pilate. He rules that territory. You don't do these things to Pilate. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I can release you? I can have you put to death? Do you not know who you're talking to? And I just imagine Jesus calmly just said, You have no power at all, except for the fact that my Father has given it to you. I believe with all my heart that fear filled that ruler of that territory. He wanted out of this thing at this point. 
But it goes on and it says, From then on Pilate sought to release him. But listen, but the Jews cried out saying, If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Caesar, his hands were tired. He didn't want to lose his position. He didn't want to be reduced down to nothing. He didn't want to be tried before Caesar. He didn't want nothing. At one point he says, Took some water. He said, I'll wash my hands clean of this. It's, but he couldn't. What about Herod? Well, Herod's great grandfather was building a temple. Herod still had dreams and visions of being the king. Pilate sent him to Herod. Herod says, Hey, I'd like, I've heard about all these miracles. Show me something. Maybe I can do you a favor. Show me something. Stood there in silence. The soldiers took him, stripped his clothes off of him, put a purple robe on him. They beat him with rods. They put a crown of thorns on him. They mocked him. They ridiculed They made sport of Christ. Sent him back to Pilate. People are crying out, crucify him. They even put before him Barabbas, a known vile criminal. We have a custom, release one of these, these prisoners on this day. Surely they'll, they'll want to release Jesus. He, he hasn't done anything. He asked the question, they, which one should I crucify? Which one do you want me to release? Release Barabbas! Why? What is this, what is this Jesus done? They refuse to listen. Release Barabbas! I wash my hands of it, scourge him, get him ready for crucifixion. We go back. Why did the nations rage? Why do the people plot vain things? Why do the kings of the earth, they take their stand against him? Why did the rulers gather together against the Lord and his Christ? Because when Adam sinned, Sin came into this world and we became the enemies of God. They sinned in the, in the very fact that they wanted to be like God. And if we can get rid of God, then we can rule our own destiny is the empty plan that man has. In verse 27 it says, For truly, against your holy servant Jesus... Whom you anointed, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, they were gathered together. Once Pilate released him, the Romans took him. They scourged him and they nailed him to a cross. You have the Jews delivering him. You have the Jews crying out. You have Pilate trying to wash his hands of this. You have Herod sending him back. Get rid of him. Look what he says in Acts 2.23. He says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you've taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. In verse 28, 
He says they were gathered together, and in 28 it says, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Everything that happened was according to God's purpose and His will. So in this prayer, what are the, what are they praying? They're saying, we know, we know that you're sovereign. We know that this is under your hand. We know that these threats are not out of your control. We know that this has been told to us that this was going to happen. We were there to see the consummation of it in Christ on the cross. And we know that it was by your predetermined plan that all of these things came to pass. And then they say this. They say, now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. If you got your Bibles handy, just flip over real quick to Matthew chapter 10. Listen to this. In 10, beginning in verse 16, Jesus said this. He said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings. Listen, For my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. And when they deliver you up, listen, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. You could say, well, that was talking about then. Well, I've got the Great Commission where he says, go into all the world. We see these things being fulfilled, do we not? And it reaches all the way down to us today. So what's the problem with this in the local church today? My question is this. Are we going forth? You want to know what will bring disunity to a body of Christ? Apathy. Listen to this. What kind of unity do we want in in the church today? Well, we definitely want to be unified on biblical truth, do we not? Well, the unity in the church today, here's what happens a lot of times. Well, one thing is we have unbiblical methodology in the church. Paul alluded to that in his teaching this morning about the normative you know, worship program, or however you say that. People got all these different ideas of how evangelism should be done. It's unbiblical methods. It's unbiblical evangelism. We got all these ideas how to do it without actually just going and doing it. Most everybody's favorite one is preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Most people have never found it necessary to use words yet. I'm just gonna, 
I've seen, I've seen Todd Friel up street preaching at, at college campuses, and, and, and a Christian girl is crying. She says she's a Christian. And she's telling him, you're, you're doing this wrong. I mean, she's, she really is, I mean, she's not being belligerent. She says, oh, no, nobody out here wants to hear you. And Todd just says, well, how do you think you should do it? By just living a life that people could see. Folks, you will find that nowhere in Scripture that that's the way we preach the gospel. We proclaim it audibly, boldly, clearly, the message that people can be saved. Listen, if there's, if the methodology is wrong, then there's a lack of this evangelism. And I want you to know something. When there's, when there's a lack of the church going forth, guess what? Well, let me just read it. I can always get too far ahead of myself. Listen, a lack of evangelism brings what? No persecution. And if there's no persecution, there's no prayer. If there's no prayer, there's no drawing together. And if there's no drawing, no prayer, no drawing together, there's, listen, there's going to be no power in the church. And you have no unity because we fall right back under the time of the judges when everybody does what is right in his own eyes. You do it that way, I'll do it this way. Does anybody really understand how the local church works? God instituted the local church. Okay? And I want you to know something. We are a Southern Baptist church, but we are not a democracy. We are an elder-led church. It's important. It's important that you pray that qualified men are leading the church. There's a reason we have a plurality of elders. We don't want a dictatorship. But if you're sitting here today, and your mind is, well, this is just the best church around, but I've got my own plans for the future, you need to repent. If you're part of this church, if you're part of this fellowship, then what we're showing you is this. We're saying this is what we believe. This 1689, this is what we hold to. Man, I like this church. I don't hold to any of those points. Then I would suggest you find another place to worship. Or at least come until you get an idea of what it's really talking about. I like this church, but I, I, I like the deacon system. Well, this isn't the place for you. You see, we've got to be unified in what we are doing. We cannot just have everybody with their own plans, their own design, and all this stuff. That's not what we read here in the early church. Let me read verse 29 again. Now, Lord, look on their threats. Lord, you hear what they're telling us. Grant to your servants, that's us, that with all boldness they may speak your word. Our brother Brady Brewer just came back from Scotland. While he was there, the second day he was open air preaching, he had the police called on him. He about went to jail while he was in Scotland for preaching the gospel. And why? 
Because he was preaching just like he does up in Bricktown or just at the bus station. And he was saying, God can save you from your lying. He can save liars. He can save adulterers. He can save homosexuals. And as soon as he said that, head started turning. A girl came up, started cussing him out. Are you saying a homosexual and a liar? You're putting him in the same category? He's already looking around and people are on their phones. About half an hour, here come the police. He wasn't even preaching at this point. But when you're a big, muscled-up, ball-headed guy with a beard over in Scotland, he kind of stood out a little bit. They go, that's the guy. So they came over as a, a man and a woman cop team, and the, the, the man was really upset. And he goes, well, I don't know what you said. And you know what Brady's response was? I'll tell you exactly what I said. And they both just kind of were in shock. I mean, they knew what he had said, but they, they couldn't. They didn't hear it. He said, I'll tell you exactly what I said. I'm just preaching the gospel, sir. That's what our Lord has told us to do. And I told him that God can save you from being a liar. God can save you from being a thief. God can save you from being a homosexual. Right then, the man just... I mean, the woman cop was being a little more, you know, friendly. But this man, he got upset and he says... You don't need to be over here trying to preach your opinions and your own personal views. And he said, sir, that's not my personal view. That is what the Word of God says. And the man was shocked and he said, the Bible says that? Brady said, yes, sir. He said, show it to me. Brady said, open my Bible up to 1 Corinthians 6, 9. He said, out of all things, it was highlighted in pink. And he said, right here, sir. And the man just looked at it for a while. And they came away with this. They said, well, look, you're your first time here. And he goes, yeah. He said, well, we just want you to know that it's against the law to do that. That's hate speech here. So what happens the next time Brady goes to Scotland? Do we not proclaim what God has told us to proclaim? Now, when Jesus sent him out, he said, be Harmless as does, but to be wise as serpents. We don't need to be foolish about how we do things. We don't need to be deceiving, but we need to be wise and we need to be discerning on how we do these things. But do we back away from proclaiming the truth? No. So what happens when we're threatened? We come back to the body of Christ. We come back with the church. Folks, if you want to know what corporate prayer is really all about, this is what it's about. It's about the church coming together in unity. And we're praying. We've been out. The the assault is happening. Do Do you think that you're going to go try to preach the gospel and everything's going to go well with you? What did Paul tell Timothy? Everyone that lives godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecutions. Jesus didn't say if they persecute you. He said when they persecute you. The peace that Jesus is speaking of is not, hey man, I don't like this persecution, so I'm going to say nothing. I've got a lot of peace going on. That's not the peace He's talking about. He's talking about 
you will have a peace even in the midst of a storm. He said, Lord, look on their threats. Grant to your servants, listen, that they with with that with all boldness they may speak your word. Now he didn't say rudeness, he didn't say arrogance, he didn't say con- he said with all boldness. Boldness. I get loud when I preach. Okay, I'm not mad. I want everybody to know that. I get loud. That's just me. I whisper loud. Okay. Bold has nothing to do with the volume of your voice. Bold is the content of the message that you're preaching. And he says, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, people oftentimes will say, well, look, what's all that about? Well, you got to realize something. In the early church... They couldn't walk around and go, hey, man, right over here in the book of Romans, this is what the Word of God says. Okay, they had the Old Testament, and it was in these big scrolls. And, you know, I guess you could, you know, go down the street packing your scroll and like, whoa, 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 and throw it on the floor and roll it out and say, look right here in Isaiah, what's going to be 53. I mean, it doesn't say it, so I've got to search really hard. You couldn't do that. So what in the world made people know that these were the, the, the validated, the men of God? There's a lot of people that claim they're the men of God today, don't they? How do we how do we know somebody's a godly person today? Everybody preaching and everything is called a church right now, this Sunday morning. How do you know? Well, we have the Word of God. We examine their fruit. We examine their message by the Word of God. But if... You remember the vagabond Jews that showed up and they wanted to cast out some evil spirits too? They seen the apostles do it and they thought, we'll try this. And they said, in the name of Paul, we command you. <laughs> or it's not in the name of Paul, but you know. And the evil spirit turned around and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but I don't know who you are. <laughs> and they jumped on them guys. Okay. God validated His people, His servants, with signs and wonders. Do you remember when Jesus came to Nicod- or Nicodemus came to Jesus, and He says, "We know that you're from God because no one can do the things that you're doing except God is with him." These things were saying loudly, "These are my." servants it's not so we could have a healing ministry it's not every time you see the miracles that happen in the book of acts what you're usually seeing is not god use it as a platform to what to proclaim the gospel typically he's opening the door first on the day of pentecost then we see it opening up on the day when the samaritans were saved and then the gentiles and then the apostles of john you see these things used to validate his servants don't get too hung up on those things that we Those are here for today. Now, it says this. It says, When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. Here's what it really comes down to. It may sound to you like 
I'm just saying we've got to be unified. We've got to pray. We've got to preach. But if you don't get this part, none of that really matters. Why? Because you and I were as lost as lost could be. We had no hope in this world. When Adam sinned, he didn't just fall a little bit and was just a little weak. He fell off a cliff that's a mile down to the bottom. God would have been just and just destroying all mankind right then at that point. But in His mercy, in His divine plan, in His love for you, God sent His Son into this world. And He came and lived a life that you could not, you did not live. He lived the sinless life that God's law demanded. Perfection. And then He stepped in front of you and said, Father, pour your wrath out upon me instead of Ron. Pour it out on me instead of Cody. And He became our substitute in death. And He took all of our sins and they were all applied to Him. Just start, get off to yourself sometime and just start, say it out loud. Don't let nobody hear you because you'll... Get alone somewhere and just start saying, I'm guilty. I was guilty of this. And just listen to what it sounds like in your own ears. And Jesus took all of those sins and put them on Him. And God the Father poured His wrath out on God the Son on your behalf. And He saved you. And He commissioned you to go tell others how they can be saved. You know what you're basically doing? You're basically going out and you're saying, I want to share a message with you. that I want to tell you how incredibly amazing my God is. I want you to be saved just like I am. And yet we look at things like, we got to get together that much? Man, it seems like we're together a lot. You are the children of God. You're going to spend eternity together. we 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 got to pray that much together? Yeah, pray, pray, pray. If you ain't got nothing else to do, pray some more. Prayer is simply talking to your Father. And go out. Share this good news. Tell people about it. When you're persecuted, it's going to shake you a little bit. Especially when it first happens. Where do you think you're going to go? Well, I'm going to tell you something. You've got a couple of you say, man, I'm, I don't want no part of this. I'm out of here. Or you're going to run up here and you're going to say, man, I was down there preaching and I got threatened. Brother, let's pray. Come in here, let's pray. 
funny, man. You see things like Marines. Out of all the armed forces, it seems like the Marines have the strongest camaraderie. I mean, they do that oorah thing and all that stuff. Man, what unit were you in or whatever it's called? When you have gone through the trenches together, when you're going through those things, there's going to be a unity. You see football teams, man, they're getting just beat on and some guy's getting worked over and they come in the huddle and the other guys are saying, you can do it, man, hang in there. When we see those things happening, So my exhortation to you today is this. Look at the early church. Look at, look at what happened when persecution came. They prayed. They prayed. They said, God, give us more boldness. In the face of their threats, Lord, you keep an eye on them, Lord. You know what they're doing. But give us more boldness. Give us more grace, Father. We can preach your gospel with all boldness. And the scripture says they went out in all boldness and they preached the word of God. God bless you today.